Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as Pastor Dane Skelton shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Dane. Eric Metaxas in uh, Breakpoint said that according to a new USA Today study, the share of Americans who report feeling angry or irritable has surged from 50% just two years ago to 60% today. A Harvard Medical School study from 2012 found that nearly two-thirds of American teens admit to having anger attacks involving the destruction of property, threats of violence, or engaging in violence. Some are describing this as America's anger epidemic, says one New York website. It cites unemployment, the economy, and for those who have work, overworking as contributing factors. But we are not only angry, we are also afraid of one another. For four decades, reports the Associated Press, a gut-level ingredient of democracy, trust in the other fellow, has been quietly draining away. These days, only one-third of Americans say most people can be trusted. Half felt that way in 1972. The AP article concludes, 40 years later, a record high of nearly two-thirds say you can't be too careful in dealing with people. Well, that was five years ago. I think if they were to do that similar survey today, they would find that the percentages are even higher. America is experiencing an anger epidemic, and yet we as believers are called to set the example by being angry and sinning not. There's an appropriate time and place for anger. There's an appropriate way to express anger. We will have feelings of anger, but God calls us to set a higher standard in the way that we live and and thereby be a beacon of light, be a beacon of virtue and truth and hope for the rest of the world. We hear stories sometimes about people who have managed to control themselves in very uh, difficult and anger-inducing situations, and we think, how did he do that? How is it possible for that guy to be that calm? I wish that I could do that. Well, the truth is, is that we can handle our anger, but we need to buy into the principle, the key principle of today's message. So here's the big idea for today's message. All expressions of anger are the result of choices, and we have five choices three of which are pretty bad, the last two are the ones that work. Three of which are pretty bad, the last two are the ones that work. Now, it's been a few weeks since we last looked at this topic. If you didn't get to hear the first message on, called Be Angry and Sin Not, you can go to the church website and hit the podcast tab and just follow down and look on the screen and you'll see it there. Look for the March 18th podcast. But I have in your sermon notes today, they're pretty detailed and I've given you a review of where we went last time. Anger is the emotion of self-preservation. As such, it is an attempt to protect the boundaries in three areas of life. Boundaries around our personal worth in response to threats to our self-esteem. Number two, boundaries around our essential needs in response to basic survival needs like food, clothing, shelter, or love and fellowship and community, or even a job, because the job 
makes, uh, makes it possible for us to have food, clothing, and shelter. And then third, we have boundaries, invisible boundaries, around our basic convictions. And so it, we get angry in response to threats to our sense of right and wrong. Crossing one of those boundaries in one of those three areas can induce the feelings of anger. We're going to feel angry, but we don't necessarily have to express those feelings the way that we are finding that most of our countrymen do. So today's primary, primary principles are all expressions of anger, good or bad, are the result of choices. All expressions of anger, good or bad, are the result of choices. We have five options for dealing with anger. Three of them are rotten and two of them are good. All expressions of anger are the result of choices. Notice what I did not say. I did not say that all feelings of anger are the result of choices. Feelings are another matter, but the expression that we give to those feelings are the result of choices. So our passage, our verse is Ephesians 4.26, where Paul is doing the, he's giving the practical instructions to, to the Ephesians after he's finished the first half of his book, as he does in most of his letters, explaining doctrine. And then he gets down towards the end of chapter 4, and he says, Be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Well, that implies a choice, as does Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Don't you know, Paul said, that when you offer yourselves over to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. So when I offer myself over to wrath, to raging anger, I am his slave, and I can look pretty foolish. You guys ever seen one of the, uh, 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 an argument between a baseball manager and an umpire? I love it when the baseball manager gets up the home plate and he does this. He's scraping dirt on the umpire because that's all he can do. Doesn't it look silly? He's lost it and he's scraping dirt on the umpire. It is important not to confuse the expressions of anger with the emotion of anger. We, not, we may not be able to control how we feel about an issue or an event the moment that it occurs, but we can choose how we will respond. So we need to talk about the source of our feelings for a minute, the source of angry emotions. Where do they come from? Well, often they come from misplaced beliefs. We believe something to be true about a situation, therefore we get angry about it. And it happens so fast, we don't even realize that we're believing and then we're feeling. We just think we're feeling. Uh, an example that I may have used before, if you might recognize it, Stephen Covey, who wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, was on a subway one evening when a man and three children got on the train, uh, and the man uh, was not paying attention to his children. The children were being rude and uh, intrusive to the other passengers, and finally Stephen said, I, it just got to me. I got angry, and I spoke to the man. I said, sir, your, your children are out of control. And it's like the man looked up out of a daze and he said, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, we just left the hospital 
where we learn that their mom is dying of cancer and they will never see her again. And Stephen said, my feelings changed immediately because what I believed about the situation changed. So oftentimes, what we think about a situation is driving what we're feeling, and we may or may not know the truth about the situation. So two principles emerge. Number one, what I believe often determines how I feel. If I choose to believe the worst about people, I will suffer a greater number of negative emotions. If I choose to believe the worst about people and situations, I will experience a greater number of negative feelings and have to process those. Second thing that emerges is that in Christ and by the Spirit, I can choose what I will believe and how I will respond to something that truly crosses one of my anger barriers. Paul said this of Christ, he said, I used to think about him after the flesh. I no longer think about him after the flesh. The whole way that I think about this person called Christ has changed. And I don't want to go too fast beyond this. I just want to remind you of some of the things that we've talked about in here before, that all of our ability to deal with things like this flows from the power of the Holy Spirit working in us because we died with Christ. Remember, we have to take up our death with him, that whole thing about Romans 6. So sometimes we have to get into a situation, we get into a situation, we have to say, Lord, this is overpowering to me. It's more, it's more than I can deal with. I recognize that there are things going on probably inside of me that I can't even explain right now. I give myself to you into this situation. I accept my death in Christ. Fill me with your power and enable me to process the rest of what I'm about to tell you, okay? I just don't want you to lose track of that and think that we're going to be able to do all of this in the power of our flesh. But in Christ and by the Spirit, I can choose how I will respond to something that truly crosses one of my anger barriers. Henry Brandt said, other people don't create your spirit, they only reveal it. So whatever is going on down inside of you most of the time, when you run into a situation that's going to cross one of your boundaries, that's what's going to come out. So it is inaccurate to say, so-and-so made me mad. That puts the responsibility for our choices on somebody else. The truth is more like this. So-and-so did X, and I got angry about it. In counseling, we say we use I messages. We take responsibility for our own feelings, and we say, this happened, and I got angry about it. Not, this made me mad. Nothing can make you mad. It's simply the way that we respond to it. So the key, as we learned last time, is to stop and think, okay, I admit I'm angry. We have to be able to tell, tell ourselves the truth about that first. But why? What boundary inside of me got crossed? So at first glance now, this information may be depressing because some of us have feelings that are overpowering especially feelings of anger, and we know that they're not good, we know that they're not helpful, and we want to deal with them, we want to follow Christ with them, so we found out, oh great, now you're telling me I'm responsible for all this, now I feel worse, not better. I just feel guilty. Well, I, I think that um, this is actually helpful and hopeful. 
here's a true confession. There have been moments in my life when I have been literally sick with anger. My body tormented by intestinal troubles, my blood pressure spiking, my head hurting, my mind reeling, hammered by relentless negative thoughts and destructive thoughts on hatred and revenge. By the way, um, be careful about how many uh, gunslinger movies you watch, how many revenge movies you watch. There came a point in my life where I realized that about every other movie that um, Mel Gibson made was a revenge movie. Uh, even, even some of the really good ones, like historical ones, and I thought, you know, I just don't need to be watching that anymore. Um, but there have been times when I have given in to this anger and stewed on those juices for days on end, unleashing invective on those closest to me. And thankfully, God in his mercy has protected me from doing anything permanently destructive with that stuff. But I'm, I'm just telling you this because I know what it means when, for the devil to have a foothold in your life about this kind of thing and just have these raging emotions inside and almost n and not be able to control them. And, and I've come away from it emotionally wrung out and physically exhausted. And it is not a pleasant experience. I don't want it to happen again, ever. And I know that there are some of you out there who experience this. And so when all of this stuff that I'm explaining, and the reason that I'm explaining it is because it gives us hope. Because I'm, what, what I'm trying to give you is what God gave me, is just the ability to understand where this stuff comes from and how to keep it from doing that to me. And uh, so I want, I want for you to know these things. So if you can identify with that, what this really holds out for us is hope, not guilt. Because it says, I can have victory over this in Christ. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Okay, Lord, I'm buying in. I want that freedom. Once I take responsibility for my emotions and my choices, what do I do with them? I mean, I have these powerful feelings. What do I do? Those are the five options of anger. That's one of the reasons that I love the Bible so much is that every, situ every human situation that we can imagine is in this book. It's hardly uh, an experience that any of us will have in life that's not already recorded someplace in this book. So I want to use some of those situations to explain our five options. But we have to read the whole thing. Sometimes uh, you can't go at this book like a verse a day to keep the devil away. It's not like taking a pill. You have to read the whole thing in context and understand the stories in context and the principles in context. And as you do, then you go back, as, as your whole life is just absorbing this book, then you sit down one day and, that's when the, and you're experiencing something incredibly powerful and incredibly negative and the Holy Spirit is able to go, bing! But it's because the whole book is there. So I encourage you to read your Bibles. But example, people, uh, people read Ephesians 4.26 and they stop and they say, okay, that's it. Here's, here's what happens when you just take it as a, 
I'm just going to get this one little verse and just take it out, and this is going to be my verse. People will read chapter, uh, chapter Ephesians 4.26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And they'll say, okay, that's it. Christians should never get angry. And I'm going to be a good Christian. And I'm never going to get angry. No, I can't help it. And they hold it in. We hold it in. And it damages us. I think I talked to you before about the chemical reactions, the fight or flight that happens inside of us. And we hold it in. It just creates really bad problems inside. And that's just wrong. That's not the whole biblical teaching on this. So we have five options, and I have 21 minutes. The first option is suppression. Suppression. That is to put down by authority or force, to exclude from consciousness. Sometimes in the short run, we need to suppress something that we're feeling. But for the long run, that's dangerous. It's incredibly destructive. Um, I love the, uh, the line from the old Reba McIntyre song, Just call, me, uh, Just call me the Queen of Sheba, baby, because I'm the Queen of Denial. Call me Cleopatra, because I'm the Queen of Denial. Y'all don't even know who Reba McIntyre is. <laughs> I like Reba McIntyre. Suppression is very common, and it creates all kinds of problems among Christians because we've been taught that all anger is bad. It's not bad. The psalmist, Asaph, understood what happens when we don't deal with things that seem unfair in life, when we don't deal with the things that cross our boundaries. He said in Psalm 73, verses 21 and 22, When my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, in other words, I was angry, I was senseless and ignorant, I was a brute beast before you. Unresolved anger turns us into brute beasts. And we find out we're not, suppress it, we're not supposed to be angry, I'm not angry. Are you angry? No, I'm not angry. But you can see it all over their face. So we turn to food for emotional soothing and we become obese because we can't express our anger. We can't express our anger, so we turn it inside and we suffer from depression. We can't express our anger, so we stuff it and we suffer high blood pressure or intestinal problems or whatever. So suppressing and stuffing anger is never a good idea for the long run. Don't hit your boss, okay? Don't launch on your boss. You need suppression right then and there. But later, work it out. Second thing, open aggression. Open aggression. Look at John chapter 18, verses 10 through 11. John chapter 18, verses 10 through 11. Peter is the guy for open aggression. He's just my hero in, in the New Testament. Because like Jeff said last week, if you ever wanted to see somebody doing something dumb, just look for Peter in the New Testament, and he's going to be the guy that's doing it. Verses 10 through 11, Jesus is being uh, arrested. And so what's Peter do? Simon Peter had a sword, drew it, and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. And Jesus had to tell him, put it away, Peter. What's Peter doing? His boundary has been crossed. Okay? His physical safety, his whole world is about to be blown away because his master is being, is being betrayed and arrested. Peter is going full bore Rambo here. Okay? 
He's open aggression. And that's just his natural reaction to the situation. Open aggression is an attempt to protect my boundaries at someone else's expense. I protect my boundaries by taking a bazooka to yours. Have you heard the story about the two cars in the parking lot, two ladies, this one beautiful young woman in a Toyota Corolla, and this older, more mature, uh, wealthy lady in a big Cadillac. And the lady in the Cadillac is waiting patiently for the spot to open up. You know how you're waiting for somebody to clear your spot in the parking lot? The spot clears, and the young woman in the Toyota zooms in, jumps out of her car and says, I'm young, and I'm beautiful, and I can get away with anything. And the lady in the Cadillac just stands on the gas pedal and shoves the Toyota all the way into the next parking space and gets out of her car and says, I'm old and I'm rich and I can do anything I want to. (laughs) That's open aggression. A couple of warnings about open aggression. Number one, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. God considers vengeance his personal prerogative. And when we take it on ourselves to get our own vengeance, we're crossing one of his boundaries, which is never a good idea. And second, open aggression is like the tornadoes that have been tearing to, that go through the country about this time of year. It, it, it leaves a path of ruined relationships that are extremely difficult to rebuild. And third, rage is addictive. Wrath, rage... And rageful behavior is addictive. Admiral Ernest King, the World War II commander-in-chief of the United States fleet, chief of naval operations, his daughter said this of him. He is the most even-tempered man in the Navy. He's always in a rage. (laughs) Rage provides this physical rush and sense of control and a temporary release from pain that uh, that other addicti- uh, just like other addictive agents. It burns a neurochemical pathway into our brain so that the more we opt for rage, the more rage is our only option. So suppression, open aggression, those are both destructive. Third, the favorite of all Southerners that I know of is, is passive aggression. Passive aggression. Uh, Passive aggression is the art of the saboteur, and Judas is its patron saint. He betrayed Jesus, but he never openly confronted him. You realize Judas had some kind of problem with Jesus. But there's no record of any open confrontation that they had where where Judas would do the kind of thing that Peter would do. And then Peter would be rebuked. Judas would not expose himself to that. Passive-aggressives recognize that rage and open aggression have negative consequences to which they do not want to be exposed, so passive-aggressives preserve their boundaries at somebody else's expense, but they do it with less personal vulnerability. So it's the painter who got mad with the floor sanders because they got dust on his fresh paint job on the wall, and he just kind of accidentally on purpose spills paint on the freshly finished floor. Or it's the trucker who takes a three-hour lunch because the dispatcher gave him a short load. Or it's the wife who burns the dinner because her husband was late. And on and on and on. Passive aggressives, especially southern passive aggressives, 
are often unaware that we are expressing, expressing aggression at all. I think sometimes it's because we got whipped so bad by the Yankees and we just never wanted to take on, on open confrontation after that. It's like it brings, <laughs> brings out bad stuff, right? The sinful pattern, and psychologists would call it social pathology, runs so deep it's just the way things are done. Nobody wants open confrontation, so passive aggression becomes the norm in families, in jobs, and in churches. Somebody doesn't like the preacher's wife, so they don't go and have a Matthew 18 conversation with the preacher's wife. They just write nasty emails about them. It's around, they go around the neighborhood. But I love what B.B. Um, Taylor said about unresolved anger. Unresolved anger is arthritis of the spirit that acts like a boomerang. It has a sinister way of circling back on us so that we become the victims of our own ill will. So the first three options are really bad. Suppression, aggression, and then passive aggression. Suppression pushes it down. Open aggression blows it up. You know, people who are open aggression types never get ulcers. They just give ulcers to everybody else. And then passive aggressives, passive aggressives are the ones that do it in secret. They're the Judases. Fourth, and this is the one that I think most of us as Christians just flat out miss, is calm assertiveness. Calm assertiveness. Look, in fact, it's the passage that Mark just quoted a moment ago in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. This is amazing. Here we have Peter, again, Mr. Open Aggression. Mr. I'm going to blow up and lose it in every situation. Now he's been arrested. He and John, their lives are on trial. John's, uh, James has already been killed by Herod. And they're standing before the same group, the Sanhedrin, that had Jesus crucified. How do you expect Peter to act? Not like this. Let's jump down and we'll just reread what, what um, Mark quoted to us. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers, Elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. What a difference. What a totally different man. That was calm assertiveness. It's one of the greatest skills for conflict resolution. But please hear me. No one is born with this. You have to learn it. I've never met anybody born with it. 
It has to be learned. Calm assertiveness is protecting our boundaries while considering the needs and the feelings of others. It is standing for righteousness without stomping on toes. It is speaking the truth with grace and love. Why did Peter not whip out a sword and light into the Sanhedrin? Well, the Spirit had changed his understanding and his nature. His essential needs and basic convictions were no longer an issue. He knew his wrath could not accomplish God's purpose. So he had stopped defending his kingdom and he had started defending God's kingdom. Second, his self-esteem was no longer an issue. Educated lawyers and theologians were no longer a threat to this simple fisherman. They couldn't insult him because he knew how well he was loved by God. How did that happen? When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, the scripture says, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now here's where it really gets good. Was Jesus ever assertive? Yes. Let me just go quickly through these. John chapter 10, verses 31 through 39. He's really aggravated this, the, the Pharisees and the Jews. They're picking up stones to stone him, and he says, for which one of my miracles are you going to stone me? Didn't lose his temper. He just speaks the truth to them and puts them just reframes the whole situation. Okay, you're going to stone me to death because I've done healing miracles in front of you. Matthew 22, verses, verse 18, this is the whole thing about paying taxes to Caesar. Jesus, aware of their malice, they hate him, and they're going to try to kill him, and says to them calmly, you hypocrites, why are you trying to kill me? Why are you trying to trap me? Matthew 23, verses 13 through 29. His woes to the Pharisees. Have you ever read Matthew 23? Oh, boy. Seven different woes, he says to them, which is kind of like saying, you are doomed. You are absolutely damned before God because of one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven. And just list them out. Nobody had ever spoken to the Pharisees that way. Jesus is not yelling. He's not losing his temper. He's certainly not suppressing it. And he's certainly not going around the back way being a passive aggressive and just sort of, let's just make sure those guys get that message. But I don't want to tell them. Let's post it on an email chain or on a, a Facebook page or a social media page but not, you know, but let's make it anonymous. He doesn't do that. Just right there in their faces, he says, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you, seven times. The ability to be calmly assertive is a byproduct of being with Jesus. When I am with him on a regular basis, when I am practicing the spiritual disciplines, of prayer and meditation and worship and confession and service um, and rest, Sabbath, 
and celebration, when I'm in a constant practice of those and walking in Christ in the Spirit, that's when I'm able to back up, momentarily suppress if I'm feeling the feelings of anger, think through the process, and like one of our friends said this morning in the Sunday school class, think, what does this person actually need from me right now? That's calm assertiveness. So here's what happens when we do that. When we are walking with Jesus, my perspective on my personal worth, boundary number one, changes. My perspective on my essential needs, boundary number two, changes. And my perspective on my basic convictions, boundary number three, changes. As does my motivation for protecting them. Last option. This is the one everybody knows. This is the one we always default to, and it's not a bad thing. But we do it sometimes instead of doing the Matthew 18 process. We can forgive. Ephesians 4.32. would help if I was in there, in that book. Ephesians 4.32. Forgive just as Christ. Just as God in Christ forgave you, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. People without Christ who have never experienced His mercy often find this impossible. But people in Christ always have this powerful option. But here's what I would say to you. Don't choose forgiveness until you have practiced calm assertiveness. Now, you always have the option of choosing forgiveness, and, and it, it's always the right thing to do. But if you've tried to forgive and you haven't actually had a Matthew 18 confrontation, and you haven't actually talked through whatever the issue is with whoever the person is that has created a problem for you, you're missing out on a huge part of what God has for you and the example that He has given you in Christ of being a calmly yet assertive person and speaking the truth in love. When we opt for forgiveness without even trying to be assertive, here's what happens a lot of times. We fool ourselves and we think we're saying, yes, I've forgiven, but we're not. We're just suppressing. And then suppress, suppression does all that bad stuff down inside of us. Nobody uh, is born knowing how to do calm assertiveness Remember to try that and, and exercise that. Even if it doesn't turn out the way you think it's supposed to, exercise that. Then go to forgiveness. And let me just quickly, just, I just want to recommend this book to you. I know I've recommended it before. Uh, it was recommended by Don Fowler for all of us. Lewis Smead's Forgive and Forget, which is a terrible title because you never forget. But the subtitle is Healing the Hurts You Don't Deserve. Healing the Hurts You Don't Deserve. Excellent, excellent book. Read it and work through it, lest unresolved anger keep you trapped. Forgiveness alone has the power to transform because to forgive is to give up the exhilaration 
of one's own unassailable rightness. That's my Mary Gordon. In other words, forgiveness is giving up my right to be right. So let me ask you this question. Do you know what it means to be so angry and just not be able to get free of it to the extent that it creates poison inside of you? To the extent that you're mentally, emotionally, and physically poisoned? This is the only way I know how to deal with it. Know who you are in Christ. Know what your boundaries are. Ask God to help you identify what boundaries have been crossed. And then once you've calmed down enough, go and have a talk. Calm assertiveness. And say, I'm taking responsibility for my emotions. This is what I feel when you do X. Now, I'm responsible for my feelings, but this is what I feel. Here's what I need from you. Say what you feel. Ask for what you need. And leave the results to God. Quite often what you'll find is people, wives, husbands, siblings, friends, work, uh, bosses, people like that. Quite often they will respect you more for coming and saying, you know what, I'm responsible for my emotions, but i got to deal with this. Can you help me deal with this? And if they choose not to, then forgive. And just walk away and say, Lord, okay, I think I've done my Matthew 18 responsibility. It's yours, and it doesn't own me anymore. I'm free. Thank you, God. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Um, for these incredible examples. Thank you so much for Peter. We can't wait to meet him after we meet Jesus and um, talk to him about his life. And thank you that um, you give us all these stories in your book that are people just like us so that we can understand that we're not alone. I pray, Father, for myself and for all my friends here that you would help us to walk in the peace um, that this provides. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you. We love you. And we hope you have a wonderful week.